Well, hello and good evening to those of you that can join in today. This is Kay Mortimer, and tonight we are looking at our Mercy Church, and we're joining in for our Mercy Church normal Wednesday night class called Treasure Hunters. So we welcome all of those in our normal class, and any of you that would like to tune in as well and join with us. And we're going to be continuing in series. I'm going to give a few minutes of time for a few to join in right now. <clears throat> so I want to say, first of all, that I am trusting the Lord with you that you are all. through this um, awful time period. So God bless you as you join in. And so I'm praying that God will keep you safe and sound, keep you well. And I know that we're all kind of tired of all of this. Um, so, you know, just that God will give us patience. We have to um, have patience and endurance. And I've got a message stirring in my heart about that. So on my ministry pages, um, in short order, I'll be bringing some of those things um, to light, and I'll be speaking about those in the next few days as the Lord has given me several messages to share. So I'm going to be on um, on doing some live audio and live video over the next few days. Um, here, this particular channel and this particular page is for my Mercy Church ministry, and uh, so I welcome you as again, as I said, those of you that are joining in, uh, whether you're normally in my Wednesday night class or not, welcome to you, and we're so glad that you've joined in. God bless you, and I trust you are well. Let's begin with a, with a moment of prayer, and I encourage you to join in where you are and pray and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, the living God. We thank you, Father, that you are the sovereign over all. You are king of the universe. You're taken by surprise by nothing. You know all ahead of time. You prepare and you bless and you use all things. And you bless your people in spite of all the different things that can be happening around the world. And so, God, we don't make any judgments or any decisions based on any kind of criticism or any of that, Lord, because only you know the truth about every single person in their hearts and what it is that you are doing. But I am thankful that you are causing a stirring inside the earth and a shaking in the atmosphere as people are calling upon you, as people are coming to know you, as people are inquiring and asking about you and searching, searching on the internet. I'm so thankful, God, that the word of God is going forth in the airways like it maybe never has before. And God, I thank you, Lord, you're raising up, raising up voices everywhere that will, will flood the earth with the truth of your word. And so, Father, as we come together and unite together tonight to do that in this particular class, I am asking you to bless our study. I'm asking you, God, that you would help me to be a faithful servant of the Most High God in delivering this message as we continue through our series. And God, I am thankful that for the Christian, our future is far better than our present as a matter of fact, Paul put it like this, the sufferings of this present time have nothing in comparison to the glory that's ahead for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And as we tackle this topic tonight from your word, I pray that your blessing would be upon it. I pray that you will bring the fruit of it to every single person that joins in and that will hear us in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Welcome to you, all of you treasure hunters, those who normally join in and those who maybe don't, but you joined in tonight. God bless you and welcome. I want to get right into our study. And to do that, I'd like to just do a little bit of review with you uh, because I know some of you are not uh, normally in our class on Wednesday nights. So, um, so I want to bring you up to speed on where we are. We are doing a study that I've titled, Thy Kingdom Come. And what, what the Lord put in my heart to share with his people through this study is that we have 
we have something great to look forward to. We, you know, we, we sometimes get so bogged down and wrapped up in the things that are going on around us and in the daily course of life and in all the do's and, and the things we have to do and the things, places we have to go and all of that, that sometimes we can forget that this world is not our home. We have a different home. And we are moving into that season where we will see that. And God bless you to all of you who join in. Your comments are welcome, and I, I appreciate them. If I don't get to respond during the video, I will gladly respond when we are done. To God be the glory for his word. And so I want us to just concentrate and think about the fact, and this series is designed to bring us to that understanding that this world is not our home. And we need to know what does the Christian have to look forward to? What is ahead in our future? God wants you to know what's ahead for you. God wants you to, to have that in your mind because it will help you in these days, especially where we are, are right now and in the days of turmoil and all that we are experiencing right now. God wants you to know that this is a temporary season. And your permanent home with him is glorious. And so we're going to get into that more and more. And I want to just do a brief review right now on the lessons that we've done up to this point. This is actually lesson five in this series. So I'm just going to take a few moments and briefly review. In lesson one, we talked about how the Bible tells us a good bit about the kingdom of God that is coming. And we looked at many different scriptures showing some interesting facts about it. First of all, one was that it, it has a, it's a city. It's an actual city. It's an actual community of people. It's a community where, think about this, Jesus said that there will come a day when we'll sit down with patriarchs. Imagine sitting across the table from Abraham or Isaac or Moses Imagine that. Imagine those conversations. And that's what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures teach us that it has a king. Hallelujah. And he is a loving, wonderful king. God bless, God bless his word. And we're just excited to be understanding that there is a king coming and a kingdom to come. Hallelujah. And in that realm, we wanted to understand the time period of where we are now. And so we saw how the Bible gives us, in essence, um, a couple of super signs, we call them, as far as where we are right now. We can look on the scene now, and we cannot make any dates or any judgments about <clears throat> what's going to happen when or how things are going to come together. Is it going to be this happening because of nuclear explosions or is this going to happen with an asteroid or whatever? We don't know about all of those things. We don't understand those things. God has it all planned out. He knows the exact timeline. He knows every bit of that. But the one thing we can know is that we are given in Scripture two things that, that we call or I call a super sign. The first one is that the, the rebirth of Israel. God said that he would regather his nation, and he talked about it in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 66, where he said that, um, that he would birth the nation in a day, and, and it would blow the minds of the world, and it did. It happened on May 14th of 1948, and then he gave them Jerusalem back in 1967, and now we're living in some exciting days where um, where Jerusalem is is even um, being promoted in the earth by things like President Trump and his moving of the embassy there and declaring it to be the capital and those kinds of things that are very godly things and I'm very grateful he has done those things. So one super sign is the rebirth of Israel. The second super sign that we can see today in what we're doing is the convergence. And that just means that as we draw closer to that day, the signs are coming more and more closer together, more and more frequent. We're seeing more and more of them and those kinds of things. So that's the second super sign is the convergence. We're actually seeing all of these things beginning to take place all over the world. And so 
That is a super sign for us. <clears throat> then we looked in lesson four at where we are today. And today we are still in the time frame or what some refer to, theologians refer to as the dispensation of grace. And it's represented in Revelations chapter two and three, or what in other words, we might call the church age. The church is alive and well. Praise be to God. There were seven churches, and all seven of those churches have varying levels of interpretation. They were prophetic. They were also speaking of the ages of the church in the sense of different generations and spans of time throughout church history. They also speak to us. Um, you know, we might get something out of the church of Pergamos, um, and God might speak something from that church, from Sardis or whatever. And so, you know, we, there are all different levels that we can interpret them. But one thing that we do know is that we are in the church age today. We are living in it, and the church is alive and well. Praise God! You that are a part of the church of the living God, hallelujah, that's a good place to rejoice. Praise God, we are alive and well. God is still using his church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is still using his church as a vehicle even today. And now I believe with all of this virus and, and all of these things that are going on in the earth, the shaking and the stirring that's going on, God is awakening his church. He's trying to wake us up and he's trying to rise us up to the challenge and to give us the message and a new impetus and a new urgency. And I pray that this, this series will help you see that as well and help you be um, excited and feel that urgency to let's do what God has called us to do. The days are short, and we're soon going home, beloved. Those of us that know Jesus, we are soon going home. So let's work for him while the day is, while it's still day, and we can serve him, and we can bring forth fruit for him. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So, now, we want to move from here, understanding that we are still in Revelation 2 and 3 in the sense of being the church age still alive. And we're going to be moving forward so that we understand what is on the horizon. Now, this is the part that's going to be a little bit hard tonight, but we have to be faithful to the truth found in God's Word. And so I want you to understand that we're going to do a brief basically a brief rundown or synopsis of Revelation chapter 3 or chapter 4 through 20 tonight as we look at what's ahead because we have to understand. We have to understand that there are two groups of people and God has laid out the future for both groups and we need to understand that. And thank God, beloved, that that after tonight, this is going to be the hardest lesson, I will tell you that. It's the roughest, but God has a purpose in us understanding it. And so I want you to hang with me and let's go through this. Praise be to God. Now, I've taught the book of Revelation before in a much more in-depth study. That's not what this is. I'm going to do my best to just sort of run through it tonight as quickly as I can, and give you the key points that, that the Lord would have us to understand right now. But I will encourage you, and I've encouraged my, my normal class at church several times to do this, and I would encourage all of you that are hearing and listening and joining in with me to um, read through the book of Revelation and do it very quickly. Read through the whole book in just a matter of two or three days. It's only 22 chapters. So read it through in two or three days time. And I don't know about you, God may have something different for you in the span of, of doing that when you go through that. But for me, it really honed in on one important key fact, and that is this. There are only two groups of people in eternity, only two now and only two then. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
and those whose names are not. That's as simple as it gets. And the whole of the entire book of Revelation can be found in one key object, and it is the Lamb's book of life. That's what it's all about. Your name is there, or it is not. Period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's the way it, it is, and that's what is ahead. And so, Revelation tells us, and in other books, not just Revelation, but the book of Revelation, as well as several other prophets, Jesus himself, and even some of the apostles, tell us more details about the things that are summarized in the book of Revelation. But Revelation reveals to us what happens to both groups. Welcome to all of you who join in. So, we want to cover these tonight in some basic form. All right, first of all, for those who are not found written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life, and this is the hardest part of this entire series, and it's the heaviest, but it's the truth, and we have to know it, and we have to understand it, because God has a reason for you understanding this, and we'll talk about that at the end. Revelation 6 through 20 tells us the future end of all of those who are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's absolute, there's no questions asked, and there's no possibility for any other different outcome. It will be this way for eternity. Hallelujah. And so that there's a seriousness to that. And beloved, when we teach the Word and when we look at the Word, we can't just pick and choose. We can't just take the parts we like and not understand the parts that are harder for us or harder for us to realize. Because listen, when you see what their end is, I pray, and I prayed before we started this lesson about these things. First of all, I believe that one of the, one of the good things that can result from this is your own personal gratitude and thanksgiving for, for your name being in the Lamb's Book of Life if you are in covenant relationship with Him. It will help you to understand and appreciate afresh what Jesus has done for you and what He has kept you from. And, this, and another thing that came to my mind is that it will give us, Lord willing, a burden for the lost to pray for them to pray because today we still live in a window of grace, in a season of grace where God is still wooing and calling people to himself and he's calling for people to come to know him. And he wants to do that throughout the earth in these last days and he wants all the whosoever wills, I call them, all those who will believe in Jesus, all those who will receive him, he wants them to come to faith in him. But we have to understand the truth about what's, for, what's found in here. All right. First of all, just going through Revelation very quickly, chapters 4 and 5 give us an over. We're going to do this in an overview form, but we'll talk about these a little bit more next week because this is one of the next things on the agenda for us. Oh, hallelujah, for every believer. And it's beautiful when we get into these chapters and we look at what's ahead. This very possibly refers to the, the time period of the rapture of the church, especially chapter 4, verse 1. Um, many people believe that. Um, I still happen to believe in the rapture. I still happen to believe that it occurs before the tribulation. I know there's lots of debate over that today, but I cannot find any other way to reconcile the whole of Scripture without, uh, without that. But I know that different people have different beliefs on that, but this is very possibly a, a heavenly time period when all of us, the Lord has already called us home and we'll all be together. And there's a heavenly worship service. Hallelujah. God is on the throne. He is still on the throne today, and we will see him face to face on the throne at that time. Hallelujah. There's four living creatures. There's 24 elders. The Lamb of God, listen, beloved. It's the Lamb of God that they see that was slain, but yet lives. That was unheard of. And it was an odd thing for the Jewish people to even contemplate that, much less for John as a Jew to write that, that he saw the Passover Lamb 
like he had been slain already, but he's alive. When they would slay the animals and they would kill them, they were dead. They were dead as a doornail. They didn't live anymore. But Jesus is alive. And we're about to celebrate that at Easter. I don't know if we'll be able to do it in churches by then or not. I know the president said today he's hopeful that we can. Wouldn't that be great? He said um, an awesome thing if God would allow that to happen in our land. So we'll just continue to pray and trust God for whatever he's got in mind. But our Lamb of God, hallelujah, he didn't stay dead. There's an empty tomb. He is alive. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Jesus is alive. And he is the Lamb. And in that chapter, he's given a seven-sealed scroll. And then we begin to see in chapter 6, as he begins to open those seals. And beloved, 6 through 19, all of that is judgment. All of it. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Because I want you to understand that all of these judgments will be released upon the wicked of the earth. Welcome to all those of you who join in uh, for this message. We are in a series called Thy Kingdom Come. And we're in Lesson 5, and it is the hardest lesson to study of them all, but we, we have to be true to Scripture and understand what's ahead and, and how God will have it affect us as believers. And then from here on out, we're going to look at the great future that's ahead for every believer. Hallelujah. But in Malachi, I want to read you a few scriptures. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are now consumed, O sons of Jacob. The Lord will not change. He is the same. He, he has never changed his mind. His desire and his delight have never changed. Hallelujah. And then I want to turn over. Give me just a moment to find it. I want to turn over to James chapter 1. I want to read James chapter 1, verse 17, and it says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Here again, God is the same. We, we know in Hebrews, I didn't pull this particular scripture, but Hebrews also tells us that um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, we see this. And this helps us understand that although judgment is coming and God has never changed his desire, this is his desire very clearly. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. In other words, he's not delaying. He hadn't forgot about it and just got busy and got idle and lazy. No, it's not that. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we go through these next few um, chapters of Revelation and these notes that, I, that I've prepared for tonight, I want to just ask you to let that be ever in the back of your mind as we're studying this lesson. I want you to remember this scripture because this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. He is long-suffering not willing for any to perish, but his desire is that all, all will come to repentance. You know, beloved, the, we'll talk and the, the scriptures teach us about a place called hell. And it is an eternal place of torment and it is the destination of all who will reject Christ. But it was made for the devil and his angels. It was never God's desire for one person to go there. And he doesn't send people there. They only go there of their own free will choice. But God doesn't want them to go. He wants them to have life. Jesus said, 
I've come to give life and that more abundantly. That's his desire. So we have to remember that. And so, beloved, the season of Revelation 2 and 3 that we are still in, living in right now, is called by some a window of grace or a dispensation of grace. It is the season of today being the day of salvation and the, the um, today being the day when people can be accepted by the Lord. As a matter of fact, let me turn over here real quick to the book of Luke. I want to read in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. So he came, talking about Jesus, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> all right? Now, we have to understand the significance of what Jesus did and what he said there. He was quoting from Isaiah 61. And if you read it in Isaiah 61, you will see that he stopped mid-sentence. He stopped mid-sentence in verse 2. Because verse 2, the continuation of that says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did Jesus stop right there? Because that's not the time. You see, it's one groom and two comings. It's one Messiah. And he came the first time to die and pay the penalty for our sin. He came the first time to tell the world to repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. He came the first time to teach us and to show us and to build his church and to begin his ministry and his church. But he's coming again a second time. And that time he will come as a conquering king and it will be the day of vengeance. The time period in between is what theologians can refer to as the dispensation of grace or the time of the acceptable year of the Lord as Jesus put it here. He stopped there because that was his purpose. His purpose in his first coming was to do all of the things that Luke 4 said. And he stopped mid-sentence because that time had, was not yet to come. We're still waiting on that time to come. But beloved, it's closer than it's ever been before. And we know that to be true because of the super signs he's given us. Hallelujah. The day of vengeance is coming but the window of the season of grace is still here now. Today is the day of salvation. And I don't know if there's anybody tuned into this or that might hear this that does not know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior. But I want to stop right now and I want to call you and invite you to come to know him. Because he's not wanting you to perish. He wants you to find life in him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enter a deep relationship with him, beloved. And he came and he died for you to prove that. And it is the acceptable year of the Lord. Give him your heart. Repent of your sins and call and invite him in. And you will be your name. Hallelujah. Will in that moment get written into the Lamb's book. And hallelujah, all of these things that we're fixing to describe won't happen to you because your name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And next week, when we get into the rest of the story <laughs> and we start talking about the rest of what's ahead for the believer, that'll be yours as well, your future as well. So God, the window of grace is still open. It's still a season where God is calling people to repentance However, we must understand that that window 
is coming to a close. Paul wrote it like this in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. He said this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a season where that window is going to close when the fullness of the Gentiles happens. And that literally means like filling up a cup. If you poured something, poured water into a cup and you, and you got the cup full, it's literally talking about that. It's talking about all the, the final whosoever will, like I call them, those that will accept Jesus Christ. When that final person comes in, then God will turn his attention to Israel and, and the, the judgment of the Lord will begin upon the wicked in the earth. Hallelujah. So right now he's wooing people to come to himself. Hallelujah. And that window is closing very soon. Now, as we look at the rest of this very quickly, and I know it's beginning to get late. I don't want to keep you too late tonight. Normally our class goes about an hour or so at church. So we'll, I'll try to do my best to stay within that window of time. God, I want you to understand, though, that as we talk about briefly these things that are ahead for all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you've got to remember that. There's two groups of people at the end, those whose names are in the Book of Life and those whose names are not. And so for those whose names are not in there, I want you to understand this. Keep this in mind. As we talked about 2 Peter 3, 9, God wanted them to come to faith in him. God, as a matter of fact, we will see in Revelation, God goes to great lengths to try to get people. He is a just judge. He has established truth, and he gives plenty of warnings before that judgment comes. As a matter of fact, right now, there are preachers being uh, emboldened with the Spirit of God now because they're recognizing and they're tapping into the spirit realm of what's going on in the earth. Now, we don't, we don't say in any way, we know that God didn't cause any coronavirus and, and is not responsible for that, but he is using it. And he's using it to stir people's hearts and he's using it to help people understand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it is nearer than it's ever been before. So God has given plenty of warnings. But if people choose continually to reject him, he cannot and will not force himself upon them as much as it breaks his heart. Oh, beloved, if you only knew how much it broke the Father's heart to back off and say, okay, you want it that way, you got it. He doesn't take that lightly, and it's not his desire. So, let's quickly go through the harsh reality of what is the future for those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life out of their own choice. It's not God's desire for them, but it's their choice. Revelation 6 through 20 begins to tell us about that. Welcome to all of you as you join in. In Revelation 6, we see seven seal judgments beginning. We see the Lord breaking those seals, those seven seals. The uh, Probably the most well-known of those is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you had the four horsemen and they all, the four horses, they all have their color and describing exactly what they bring on the earth. Think about this. The white one comes, he's a conqueror. The red one comes with conflict and a lack of peace all over the earth. The black one comes with famine and starvation. The pale one comes with the power to kill a fourth of the earth, either by sword, hunger, death, savage beasts, etc., then in there's, there's a fifth seal that's the cry of the martyrs. Beloved, when the window of grace ends and closes, I believe people can still be saved after that. And I believe many people, those of us that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, can foresee many people 
coming to faith in Jesus shortly thereafter, after they realized that they've been left behind and that they missed it. So Christians, I believe the people will be able to be saved. But the Bible indicates that they will, at least most of them, if not all, will be martyred for their faith. And so that's what the fifth seal part of that is all about. In the sixth seal, you see massive cosmic disturbances in the earth and in the heavens. The, it's creating massive fear. You think about the fear and the panic that is in the earth right now concerning this coronavirus, it will be far greater to a much greater degree at that time. Matter of fact, the Bible says they're going to be calling out for rocks to fall on them. It's like going uh, along some of the roads in West Virginia and other places, and you, you're driving right on the side of a mountain, and you see these great big old boulders, and some of the boulders have fallen down even into the, the roads, the sides of the roads, and, and they'll even warn you sometimes that falling rocks could, could be hitting your car or whatever. Um, they're going to cry for the rocks to fall on them. It's an awful, awful time, and they're realizing it. And then we have the sixth seal that will end with a question, and so Revelation 7 answers that question, and it talks to us about those that will be sealed of the Lord for their specific purpose in that time period. Seventh seal, we see silence in heaven, and then we're introduced to seven trumpet judgments. And so these final judgments are now decreed and forthcoming. In the seven trumpet judgments, we see things like the vegetation and the grass being burned up, the, the seas becoming blood, the rivers and the fresh waters becoming blood, the wormwood, the fresh water supply um, being turned bitter and, and by wormwood. We see the celestial bodies being struck, the sun and the moon and all of those things. They'll lose a third of their daytime and nighttime hours. There's, um, then we have an angel flying through the air giving three woes, a warning about the, the remaining trumpets and how bad they are. So there's, they're, they're warning that these are greater in greater degree and intensity than even the first. And we find out about the fifth one being the locusts that are allowed to come up from the abyss and they're allowed to strike people but only to torment them and not kill them. Hallelujah, oh my God, how awful that is going to be for people that are left here, beloved. These are the things that are the truth. We can't, we can't pick and choose from God's word and say we want to believe this and we don't want to believe that. We have to take the whole word and we have to preach the whole word to be a faithful minister of the Lord. Then in the sixth, we have angels at the Euphrates that are sent forth to kill a third of the people on the earth. And notice this in Revelation chapter 9. I want to read verses uh, 20 and 21. Hold on. I have the wrong book. I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21 after some of these things have happened and they're increasing in intensity and they are, they're devastating. Notice this. This is one of the saddest commentaries in the whole of the study of the Bible and especially in the book of Revelation and what's ahead. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Beloved, these things are occurring on people that have rejected Jesus Christ and are refusing to repent. They are standing in God's face and saying, I am not going to repent. I hate you and I continue to hate you. That's what they're saying. That's this kind of person. What a sad commentary that God is trying to get their attention, still trying to save all that will come to him, even at this time. Then Revelation chapter 10 through 11 tells us some more details about some things that are coming. We've got the the um, understanding of the two witnesses in there. Um, we see those come on the scene. We don't know exactly who they are, 
almost all scholars agree that, that the first one is Elijah, um, but the difference is in, in um, whether the, the second one is Moses or Enoch or perhaps even someone else. Um, those we don't know exactly who they are, but we are given the pattern for their mission and why they come on the scene. Because God established in Deuteronomy, he said, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. And we see the first pattern for these two witnesses way back in the book of Genesis. If you turn and you look at Genesis chapter 19, you will see the pattern. They will follow the exact same pattern there. When, when those two angels were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, they were there for three per primary reasons. They were there to verify that the outcry of the wickedness did warrant God's just judgment over that. They were there to verify and attest to how wicked the city had become. Second, they were there to rescue the righteous. And you'll see in this place in Revelation, in this uh, time period in Revelation, where there is a um, the the a, the uh, two witnesses are killed, and then they're resurrected, and then there is, in a sense, a rapture. They are taken up, and we believe perhaps even the 144,000 are taken up at that time. Um, so they are there to rescue the righteous. And then they are also there to decree the just judgment of God and to bring it to pass or to enable it to come to pass. That's exactly what they did with Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see the pattern for these two witnesses. We don't necessarily know who they are, where, you know, where they're going to come on the scene, how they're going to come about, or none of that. But we do know the pattern given to us way back in the book of Genesis because God will always establish everything. He follows, when he establishes a spiritual truth and a spiritual principle, he will honor that principle. He will follow it himself. And so that's one way to stay out of error in the scriptures. That is one of the best ways to not get into error because you always look through the scriptures for support throughout the scriptures. God will always use the mouth of two or three witnesses to establish a thing. Then we read about the seventh trumpet. And I want to read something for this because this, this gets um, a little bit exciting here. In the uh, seventh, seventh trumpet, it says in Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, it says this, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! We want to do a Handel's Messiah right here, don't we? And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned, or begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. Praise God, nobody is left out. No Christian is left out of this. Hallelujah and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderous, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail, similar to when God came down at Mount Sinai. Hallelujah, that's kind of the pattern there. So we see here Jesus being proclaimed with this seventh trumpet. Hallelujah. And then we're told more information about the primary evil uh, leaders of this this time period the one one we call the antichrist normally we refer to him as the antichrist um, there's also a dragon and a false prophet so we're given lots more information about them we're given more information about the 144,000 uh, particularly when they are in heaven at this time period and then I want to read this I want to leave you I want to to share with you this uh, message as well in Revelation 14 verses 6 through 11. I want you to see this and I want you to understand why I'm pointing this out to you in just a moment. 
In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, it says this, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of, her, of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, the reason I, wrote, I read all of that to you is not pleasant scriptures, and we sure don't like to read them necessarily, but they are true. And the reason I wanted you to see that is to, I want you to understand the great lengths that God goes to even in the tribulation and in the throes of the final portions of the tribulation. He sends three angels to the earth with these three messages. And the very last one is saying, don't take the mark of the beast. And that message is still true today. If anybody was left behind, and there will be people that will be left behind. God is trying to reach everybody now to get them to turn, but there are going to be some that will be left behind. But don't take the mark. Anybody that's left behind, do not take the mark of the beast. And so I want you to see that they are, they are promoting the everlasting gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one, according to Galatians 1. Paul, maybe he had a prophetic word, I don't know if he realized it or not, about this. But Paul said in Galatians 1, he said, even if an angel from heaven comes proclaiming any other gospel, let him be a curse, let him be anathema. So that alone tells us here that they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one gospel, and it is good news for all who will receive it. But God is going to great lengths, even here. He's going to destroy the Babylonian, uh, the, the mystery Babylon, that kingdom, that Antichrist kingdom. We don't know exactly where it's going to be headquartered or whatever. Um, there are indications in Scripture that give us clues and that, that we surmise certain things from. But the point I'm getting to is that God is sending these angels, even he's going to even great lengths to reach people even in this time period. Hallelujah. And then there are the seven bowl judgments, and these are called the seven last plagues. And they are the most horrible of them all. There is loathsome sores, the seas are turned to blood, the rivers and drinking waters are turned to blood, the people are scorched with heat. There is darkness, the kind of darkness that's eerie and painful that, that, that bites at you almost. Um, I've, the closest I've ever come to that kind of eerie darkness is when I went down into a cavern on a family vacation years ago, and we went way down deep into, the, into a cavern under a mountain, and then the, um, um, the tour guide, turned off the light for just a few moments. And it was, I mean, there was no light anywhere. There was no, it was the eeriest kind of darkness. And this is one of those seven bold judgments. It's an eerie kind of darkness that will, will eat at you and give you pain. The Euphrates will dry up and the earth is shaken. The earth is shaken during this time as well. Hallelujah. But I want you to understand this that these judgments are righteous judgments. And I want to read this in Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. 
Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not been occurred since men were on the earth. And we've had several, and several have been pretty massive over the, over the uh, historical era. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a ta talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Notice that even at this time period, men still are shoving their fist in God's face and refusing to repent, although he is after all of them because it's his desire, and it always will be. He's the Lord. He does not change. His desire is to save all that will come to him so that no one will perish, but everyone will have eternal life. Hallelujah. All right. <clears throat> then in chapter 17 through 19, verse 10, we're given details about the Antichrist kingdom while he is reigning on the earth. We're just given more details about how it will be crumbled and destroyed when Jesus returns on the white horse. And oh, hallelujah. Let's go there. Revelation chapter 19. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Because the king is coming. We believe, those of us that believe in pre-tribulation rapture, we do believe that there is a rapture coming where the Lord is going to take us before these, these events unfold. But guess what? In Revelation 19, we come back with him. And he then is coming as the conquering king to defeat his enemies. Hallelujah. Revelation 19, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the... Oh, wait a minute. I want to read the ones about him coming first. 11, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. That's us. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, hallelujah, our glorious conquering King. And after his return, he will deal with the beast, with the Antichrist and with all those who have joined him and he's going to deal with that serpent, the dragon, and the devil. He, if we read in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, all the way through verse uh, chapter 20, verse 3, you will find that to be true. And so then, beginning in chapter 20, we read about the thousand-year kingdom reign. That, beloved, is the kingdom that is coming on this earth. And our title of our series Thy kingdom come, we are going to explore more of that. The Bible tells us a good bit, not necessarily here in Revelation, but in several other places, it tells us a lot about the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom of our dear Lord. And beloved, that's where we're going, beginning next week after, after this week's lesson. So he will institute his kingdom reign on here, after that thousand years, the devil is released for a brief period of time to bring one final revolt, and then Satan will have his end in the lake of fire. And you may wonder, well, well, why would he try to, how could he try to have a, a revolt? Beloved, the Bible, one of the things it speaks about is that during this reign, he will reign with a rod of iron. In other words, it's enforced peace. For some, those who love him, those who fear him, it's welcome peace. But for others, it's enforced. There is still a sin nature in man, even though the devil, the devil is bound during this time. And so every, every 
him has to come to know him in the same way, willingly and of their own free will. And so God gives that opportunity now, so there will be one final revolt at the end. And then lastly, at the end of chapter 20, we read about the final judgment for those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's referred to as the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, it's important for us to understand that there are two coming judgments that every person will face. There is one for the believer, and there is one for the unbeliever, the lost. The great white throne judgment is the one for the unbeliever. In another lesson, in an upcoming week, we will talk about the one that is for the believer. And it is not something to be afraid of. It's really a reward ceremony. And it's, it's awesome. When we get to that point, you will understand it. It's something to look forward to, not to fear or regret. I hate that the word judgment is used because that does kind of convey a negative, negative tone. But it's not about judgment. It's about rewards. And we'll talk about that later. However, remember, there are two groups of people, those whose names are in the book of life and those whose names are not. And so Revelation, 19, uh, Revelation 20 here, the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. And it talks about what will be their end. And I want us to close tonight with this. And I'm going to help you understand why this is important for you. First of all, every person here who rejects Jesus Christ and dies without him, refusing to believe in him, refusing to accept his atoning sacrifice, refusing to repent and let him become their Lord, <clears throat> that's who this person, that's who this judgment is for. And notice this, it's according to their works. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our righteousness in another place is described as filthy rags. Our works are not good enough. Works can be very, very evil works, and many of them will be. But works can also be other things where people have tried to earn their salvation. Beloved, that's not how it's found. In Jesus Christ, we, we are saved by faith alone, in Him alone, faith in His atoning work, and in nothing else. Our works are not good enough. We we receive the grace that God has offered us. These people have refused it. I can't understand why, but there will be people who will refuse it. We see death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire, and we also see the names of all of those people who are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. They will also be thrown into the lake of fire. And that is a place of eternal torment, a place of utter darkness. We have to understand how evil it is, how bad it is, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason God wants us to understand that. It is a place of torment. It is a place of utter darkness, eerie darkness. If you've ever been down in a cavern and had the tour guide turn that thing off to you, you know what I'm talking about. It's an eerie darkness where you almost feel like things are crawling on you. It's a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth, perhaps in defiance, perhaps in pain. It's a place of intense thirst. Remember, Jesus spoke about the rich man in Lazarus and how he cried out and he said, can he just bring me a drop of water for my tongue? It's a place of intense thirst. It's a place where the scriptures say the worm never dies. They're always crawling and, and trying to eat on you, burning fire heat constantly, total aloneness, total solitude. There ain't no party in hell. You ain't going to get with friends and have some good time. It's total loneliness, and there is no escape. The Bible calls this the second death. And I want you to end, I want to end with this understanding. I want you to understand this from the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 9, 
In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, it says this, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. In other words, God has appointed us to die only one death. The contrast here is with the second death. It's not about the first death as much as it is about the fact that God has never appointed or desired anyone to experience the second death because the second death is eternal damnation into hell, into the lake of fire forever and forever in torment. That is not God's plan. He is the Lord. He does not change. And his desire, according to Peter, is that all will repent and that, that come to repentance so that no one will perish. Jesus even said it, that all that come to him, that none will perish, all those that believe in him. John three sixteen, the most beloved scripture in all, uh, in all of the Bible. God sent his son because he loved the world and he wanted no one to experience this second death, this end that will come to those. Now, these are serious issues of life and consequences of choices that are here. And I want to leave you with the points that I mentioned earlier. There, even though this is a hard lesson and it's been very difficult for us to hear, for us to read, for us to think about, for us to understand, we need to understand it for a couple of reasons. First of all, we can truly, those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we have a reason to rejoice. And in understanding this, I pray that it will, it will cause you to have a new, a new impetus for praise and thanksgiving. I pray that it will cause you and it will incite inside of you a new gratitude to God for what he has done for you and for the destiny he has ahead for you. And secondly, I pray that it will um, help you to have a greater desire to pray for the lost and to win the lost in whatever way God allows you to do it, in whatever your service is to the King of, to the King of Kings and to the kingdom of God. Not all of us are called to preach and teach the word, but you might be called to share an encouragement with somebody. You might, be, you might be able to minister to someone who has been struggling in an addiction. You might be in a category where you can speak to people that I could never speak to. You might be able to give food and clothes and share the love of Jesus that way. And I know that right now we're all in a situation where for the most part we're all hunkered down in our homes. But God can give you creative ways to be a blessing. And one thing we can all do, as a matter of fact, Jesus even said, when you pray, <laughs> go into your prayer closet and shut the door. In other words, get alone, get free from distractions and pray to him because he said the father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So every one of us can do that. So I encourage you, beloved, pray for the lost, pray for sinners because they have no clue what's ahead for them unless we tell them. How will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless we tell them? Paul talks about that in the Word. And so those of us that can, we're trying to do everything we can. And I encourage you. And the last thing I encourage you with is the urgency. That, that you will, whatever God has called you to do, that you'll be urgent about it. Don't wait any longer. Don't waste any more time. Let's serve him because he's about to come back and we're about to go home. And beloved, I want to take as many people with me as I can and I want to bear as much fruit for, for him as I can. And I pray you do too. So I'm excited to share the rest of this with you because now we'll begin to move on and see what happens when we leave this earth. What is ahead for us? and it will blow your minds. It's glorious, and so I hope you can join me again. We will plan to meet again next Tuesday night at seven o'clock as we continue in this series, Thy Kingdom Come. God bless you 
is my prayer. Let's end with a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for this word. And I thank you, God, that you will, by the Spirit of God, accomplish everything in each person that's heard this according to your will for their lives. And I pray that you will help us to be truly grateful for what you've done for us. Help us to remember that and to thank you and to give ourselves wholly unto you until you return in complete service and love and adoration. And help us to pray for the lost and use every available opportunity to draw them into the kingdom so that when we come before you, we won't come empty-handed, but we'll have many that come with us. Hallelujah, and we praise you for that. Bless this night. Bless all of your people. Keep every one of those that are with me in this video or that will join in at some point and watch it. I pray for them. I pray for safety. I pray for healing. I pray for health and protection over us. And I pray that you will accomplish your will in all the earth. You will bring an end to this evil virus and you will bless us and help us, Father God, to do what you've called us to do and to do it faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you is my prayer. Join me again in coming weeks. And don't forget in my other page, my ministry page, I'll also be coming on and doing some various um, teachings and various messages as well as the Lord gives me the opportunity and, and lays those burdens on my heart. And I hope you'll join me there too. And God bless you. Mercy Church, Treasure Hunters, God be with you. And I'll see you next week, next Tuesday. God bless you. Wow, praise God.